God does not lose timetables. He knows that we're celebrating Palm Sunday. Today is, you could tell from worship that we were celebrating the triumphant entry as they did back in that day, our hearts being expressed through worship and really the same thing that it was being, what was happening back when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, that we are celebrating him. We know that we're, walk, we're moving into the, what they call the week of the passion, Jesus' passion leading up to next Sunday or next Friday, the cross and then resurrection on Sunday. And so we know that that is the, the hinge pin of our Christianity. I think we did better. Um, what's the right way to say this? Um, I, I, you know, many of you know I was raised Catholic, and so um, there's certain times when I think that we do stuff better, and there's certain times when I think they do stuff better. How about that? Um, and this is one of those weeks when I think it should be, you know, very much part of our reality and part of the presence of our everyday is remembering, going back to remember, as I think we, we celebrated it last week or the week before, about remembering where we would have been. Try to imagine where your life would have been if Jesus would not, if Jesus would have chickened out, if Jesus' faith would have failed him. You know, it, could, it would have been so much easier for him to take a left and not end up in Jerusalem uh, and then, you know, call it a good day. But he decided that he was going to go all the way and he was going to go all the way so that your life could be transformed. And so there is a real thing that happens, although we kind of can fall into just a church calendar as it were. Um, but let me encourage you to make this week a very special week of your year. I think it's... Um, because of the commercialization of Christmas, Christmas tends to get more of the excitement. But in fact, to a Christian, uh, Easter, uh, Resurrection Sunday, is a more important event on the calendar. You know, the birth, very important, obviously, Jesus' birth, his decision to come here. Um, but you can very much imagine how different it is for a baby to pop out of a mommy's womb to the difference of Jesus walking down the road coming into Jerusalem. That would have been a very different event. It would be different in Jesus' psyche. It was different in its expression for how much he must have loved us. And you know, take it personally. How much he must have loved me in order to keep one foot after the other knowing where he was going, knowing what was about to be part of his life. And so we can, let me just encourage you with that, that this week, don't let it get lost. Let it be uh, a time of your prayer every day that we rekindle our first love, rekindle the, the victory that Jesus got for us, amen? On that note, the title of my message today is so why should I get married anyways? Um, it's not uncommon for people in our culture to ask that question. You know, we live in a culture where you get the milk for free, if you know what I mean by that. I'm not going to promise that today's going to be a G-rated program. Um, but I'll try to use as many uh, metaphors so that you know what I mean. Um, and so we can often get confused as to why would you want to, if we can go to the 7-Eleven and get <clears throat> everything we need, why would we want to buy the 7-Eleven? Do you understand what I'm saying by that? 
why would we want to be able to do it if we're, you know, we're able to solve all of our problems another way? Let's put it that way. Why would we even consider this? And so if my journey with the Lord in this understanding of what it means to go to enter into covenant, if my understanding of that is all of this transformation and all of this, you know, the challenges, the struggle of getting even ready for something like a, a wedding, like a marriage. And we've talked about that in weeks gone by. And then we have the actual time of the wedding, or the, the, the marriage, the time when we live together as in a sense, husband and wife, the church and Christ, as you remember from Ephesians chapter five, if you've been with us, if not, that's a quick reference for you. And so we recognize that, that we need a vision here. We, this, you know, I remember, I, I forget which comedian it was, it says, you know, if marriage, if marriage is an institution, why would I wanna live in an institution? And so there's that reality that goes, I don't know if that's really what I'm looking for. I'm really looking for the God who takes me on a date every Friday night and pays for dinner. You know, rescues me off the side of the road when he's driving by. And, you know, anytime I need him, then I would like him to be there with all of his awesomeness. But I'm not really interested in a long-term struggle of relationship with God. And so the question really becomes, if that's the case, if we are logical people who are weighing the balance of whether I even want to do this or not, we really do need to understand why we would want to do it. And in the scripture, it tells us that the reason for a covenant is to bear fruit. That's the reason. Now, there's Perhaps in our human experiences, there's a lot of fun that goes along with the process of bearing fruit. But the end result is that we are interested in bearing fruit. Now, and we can oftentimes, in our because you know it's very difficult for us in our culture to understand how this is supposed to work, because it doesn't work like that in our world. And so there are certain parts of our interpersonal relationships, particularly boy-girl relationships, that are intentionally truncated, intentionally have boundaries. Do you understand my boundaries? And we do that because you're not supposed to bear fruit except in the covenant. Does that make sense? And so when we are looking at why would we want to bear fruit, why would we want to get married we realize that this fruit-bearing issue comes to pass because there is something called synergy. The biggest miracle ever is this thing called synergy. The greatest miracle is not you getting $100 to pay your bill. It's not getting healed, although those are really great. It's not having a great business idea. It's although those are wonderful things. The most amazing miracle that happens in the world over and over and over and over again is the synergy that is created between two people. Now, that may be in a covenant relationship, but we can experience synergy all over the place if we just understood that the objective of relationships are to create this concept of synergy. And you say, well, you know, where is that in the Bible? I don't remember reading the word synergy in the Bible. So let me define what synergy is for you. 
and then we will go and find it in the Bible. Synergy is where the sum or the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Okay, so Tina and I, she is one person. I am another person. By my onesie, I cannot make babies. In by her onesie, neither can Tina. But when we come together, then we have the power to make even more than just two people. And now there were five. And now there's more of them. And they just, you know, they keep breeding because of that pro simple process of synergy that is created. Now you come together because Tina has something that I need and I have something that Tina needs. Does that make some sense? When that synergistic union comes together, the purpose of that is to bear fruit. Now, when we look at how our world works, we can get terribly confused. And so what I want to be able to do, let, well, let's go to, first of all, a couple of scriptures. Uh, Psalm 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in synergy. Now your Bible says unity, but that concept of unity is this very concept that when people are unified in this way, because you know that you can, how many of you know, have, how many have ever been in a situation where people gather together into one room and what you get is chaos? Yeah. Anybody ever been in one of those? You see, gathering together does not make uh, a productive environment. In order to gather together and it be productive, we have to have a singular purpose. We have to be kind of joined together and unified and working with one another, for one another, in order for that to work. And then you have this unity factor. And if you go down and further in, in, in Psalm 133 there, it says God's commanded blessing. That is the activity of synergy, where you have one plus one, and it equals five. How did it equal five? It does that because of the miracle of unity when you can come together in a unified way and then the output of that unity is greater than the resources that it needed to create them. We would also use this, it's a terrible word I know in our culture, but this in our culture is what profit is. You take 15 loaves of bread and 42 pounds of ham sandwiches, of a ham, and you make a sandwich. These two items cost you $100. You make the sandwiches and you sell the sandwiches for $150. You made a profit. That profit is the, where you took things that were worth $100 and you increased their value by doing something to them. Maybe a little squirt of special sauce and now your, your, your sandwich is worth $200. Because of something that you did, some union, some grouping of resources together to create something more than what was there in the beginning. When we understand what God is doing as he's trying to come into covenant with human beings, He's trying to do so because he wants to increase the fruit that is being produced by your life. 
And in order to do that, he, is, he can't just come and hang out with you. Uh, <laughs> this is what a lot of modern Christianity looks like nowadays, where people just want to come and hang out with God in all of their spot and wrinkledness. And all it is is chaos. A whole bunch of people are feeling bad because of the sins they committed. A whole bunch of other people are saying there is no sin, so we should feel good. And a whole bunch of other people are in denial, so they feel good no matter what. And that's complete chaos. That's never been what God had intended in his relationship with us. But it's just, there's no unification. There's no, as I become more and more like God, I am more and more synergized by the word, the presence of God that is on the inside of me. Tina and I are not synergized together because we fight all the time. Now, we have our moments. You can imagine. I'm a little bit of a handful. But where we get, it, get our job done is not in where we fight unless in where we are, not we don't fight, unless where we disagree, we come to a place of stronger in our relationship. But where we work together is not where we spend our whole lives fighting and kicking each other. We've got to be able to grab arms, lock ourselves together, and run at whatever wall is preventing us from going a little bit further. If we spend all of our time like two chickens running around fighting each other, that's not going to get anything done. Well, it's going to get something done, but it's not the thing we want to get done. That's exactly the same thing that happens in our relationship with God. That as we are going down in this journey with God, all we're doing, God's trying to get us to do something and we're fighting against him, not wanting to do it. Instead of, which is okay, there's gonna be a season for that because God is always gonna be talking about solving issues in ways that we don't want him to solve them. Because he's actually trying to solve the real issue, which is why don't you want to do it his way? Yeah. Um, thank you, Lord. So unity now, relationships. Relationships are, uh, have, the one, have a very specific objective. They have a very specific agenda. What we are trying to do when we come into relationship with one another, at whatever relationship you are, your relationship with the guy just moved in next door, the relationship that you are having with all the, anybody, any person in your life, is driven by trying to establish a certain group of very specific objectives. One of them is faithfulness. And what I mean by faithfulness is, do you do what you say? Are you dependable? Not faithful, you know, it, I mean, it includes that. But in a greater way, how, how dependable am I to do what I say I will do? Number two, how loyal am I? Am I for the relationship or uh, to give advantage to the relationship or am I looking to take advantage from the relationship? Number three, how committed I am to the relationship. And then number four, how sacrificial I am towards it. Now, when you take those issues, faithfulness plus loyalty are multiplied by faithfulness times loyalty times commitment times sacrifice. The end result is this thing called trust. When we are in a relationship with somebody, what we are looking for all the time, just as human beings, we're looking to see at what, to what degree am I able to trust the other person in my relationship. And then I look for 
Faithfulness, did you do what you said? Then loyalty, were you for me? Then uh, commitment, what would, how did you express that? Was there anything that you did? Were you able to be committed to something or other? And then finally, sacrifice. Were you willing to sacrifice for me in the relationship? Now, when you are going through those, those examples, now this is in our dating season. They're not married yet. We're trying to figure all this out still. When you're in your dating season, that's what you are working with as you are in the dating season. You're trying to figure out, do I trust this person enough to eventually get married to this person? But you see, the problem comes in is that uh, if you get a zero, it's multiplication. How many of you remember your, your grade six math? If you have a zero in the multiplication, how much trust is there? There's zero. I don't care how good you are on faithfulness. If you have zero on sacrifice, then you still get zero. How about if it's a negative number? (laughs) Right? Now, we lose the math here for all you mathematicians. If there's two negatives, does not make a positive. Let me just give you a little bit of a... That does not work. But if you get a negative number in there somewhere, where does trust go? Trust goes negative. So that's where we end up having a lot of these negative experiences when we deal with relationships because we're not really sure what the motive is of the relationship. And am I okay to be judging people? Not judging them, that's a bad, learning from them about who they really are. And then then what happens is they build something that's called a reputation. Can I tell you, this is why This is the miracle. People wonder why our economy works so well. Why our culture works so well in in that way. When we can bottle it up and, you know, we can put it in in an Amazon package and we can send it all around the world, but it doesn't work there like it works here. The reason that it does not is because we focus on these issues from a business level. People, they want to do what they say then they want to be loyal, then they want to be committed, they want to be sacrificial. And so you end up having this mechanism called reputation that we trust certain businesses or certain people or certain environments or certain whatevers. And through that trust, we're able to create economy out of that. You go to other places of the world, they don't, they don't worry about this. They worry about, you know, here's my thing, give me my money and I'm out. And so there's no trust that is developed. When trust is the key component of this concept of unity or more modern terminology, synergy. You don't get more out of a relationship than you're putting into it if it doesn't have trust. And so now, okay, let's, let's wander that over to now my relationship with God. As I am in relationship with God, the key de- uh, determinant of how much fruit is produced out of our relationship isn't from how many times I go to church. It isn't from how big my Bible is or how many scriptures I can quote in how many languages. It comes from how much Does God trust me and how much do I trust him? Oh, God trusts me 100%. No, he did not. 
He loves you and he knows you. That's enough of the equation right there, right? But God does trust you to a degree. That's why he wants, remember when Jesus was here, Jesus would say this, well, you know, he knew what was in the heart of men. How many of you know God still knows what's in the heart of men? And so he, oh, Jesus, help me with this. People say, people often say this to me, say, Pastor Ian, you don't trust me. And he goes, yes, I do. I also know you. And I trust you to the degree that I know you. That makes sense? That makes sense, everybody? Am I being mean to say that? I'm not being mean, right? You know, God does that too. God is very busy pouring out into us every single drop, every molecule that he can, that he can trust you to be able to use yeah. and not hurt you. Yes. And he doesn't miss a drop of that. He also doesn't put in an extra drop. That's what this whole journey is about, is this transformational time when I decide, do I want to go God's way or do I not want to go God's way? If I go God's way, he can trust me. God, not because I've been you know, doing it religiously. I have to become it. When I become it, all of a sudden now, there's more trust that comes from God towards me and I step into a higher level of, what's the word? Synergy, which creates even more fruit of my relationship with him. Does that, does that make sense? And you can watch that. Now, not just in your relationship with God, you can watch that in your relationships everywhere, in your business relationships, in your work relationships, in your family relationships, in your marriage relationships, in your friendship relationships, in your neighborhood. They all work exactly the same way. And that's kind of where the problem comes in. Um, here's where I want to go. Human beings learn everything. We don't come into this world with very much of an understanding of anything. If you've ever played with a, a newborn baby or recently then you know the newborn baby doesn't even really understand anything about the world that they have entered. <clears throat> Everything that we get, we learn. That means that as I am understanding how to have a relationship with another person, I learn that through the relationships that I have when I am in my formative years. How many of you know that? And we just went through encounter two. If you were on that weekend or have done that weekend, <clears throat> you know that the focus of that weekend is really in repairing our family structure relationships in the sense that I learned how to have a relationship <clears throat> with my father by understanding my relationship with my natural father then I understand my relationship with my mother, my natural mother, or my, I, I understand my relationship with the Holy Spirit by using my relationship with my natural mother. And so those kind of expressions, not that it, it lines up purely here, of course, but as I use those relationships, then I'm gonna realize if I had all kinds of problems, let's say on the negative side, I had lots of problems in one of those relationships. Then I get, as a Christian, then I'm saying, and I introduce the Holy Spirit, but I'm saying, yo, dude, I don't want nothing to do with this. 
and I am impeded in my relationship simply because of my soul's understanding of what that even means. Does that make some sense? Well, that's the kind of thing that happens then when we are learning about a relationship that moves from stranger to married. Where did you figure that out? What does your soul think about that kind of an environment or that process? You see, what happens is that we use, again, our observation of relationships, whether they be, well, how do I feel about strangers? How do I feel about friends? How would I feel about people I date? How would I feel about people who I'm engaged to? How, many, how do I feel about people who are married if I've never been? My soul is figuring that out to extraordinary minutia. Your soul remembers every second of every part of your life and all the details. You don't have that in your conscious mind, but you have it in your subconscious mind. I forget, I think it's Carolyn Leaf says that you can, your subconscious mind has the ability to remember every single second of five million years of life just in case you were wondering whether you have the hard drive space. Everything then, as you are, as our soul tries to deal with this moment right now, and what do I think it means? How do I respond to it? What do I do? How do I handle myself? Should I be afraid? Should I be happy? Should I be sad? Should I? All of those things are coming from this inner world of our soul that has used billions and trillions of bits of data to decide what does this mean and how should I respond to it? So then, if, we are, if our soul is doing that, we are born from the womb with a desire for relationships. Uh, uh, humans are social creatures. So one of the things that we start learning instantly on coming out is our system is, a matter of fact, Dr. Partula will say that even when you are in the womb, there is a sympatico relationship between the mother and the baby. That's why when they take one of the, you may, you know, it's part of our life in the last little while is we've had a number of grandchildren, but the very first thing they want to do is they want to take the baby out and put it right on mommy's chest, right? Because there's a, a relationship that has already been developed because of the connection in the womb to the mother that they don't want to interrupt that. They want to put it, you know, they'll try to figure out, got to do all the other things, but the first thing we want to do is get that baby onto mommy so that there's no interruption, so there's no trauma in the way the baby feels that because they are already, as they understand it, they're already in deep relationship with their mother. So we know that because of that, that our soul, the concept of relationships is a primal concept to a human being, which means we're starting to learn zippity-doo to figure this thing out called relationships. I think that's, because, you know, I, this is like, wow, what a coincidence God did it that way. That's what God's interested in, right? He created humankind because he wanted to have relationship with us, with another being that is in the same class as him. And so it's not coincidence, if you caught my pun, that it, that it was like that for human beings. We are hardwired to desire a relationship, particularly hardwired to desire one with God. Yes. 
The problem comes in that relationships have not been our long suit. We know how to make money and we know how to make widgets and we know how to make war, but we do not understand real well how to do this thing called relationships. And so the problem comes in when we are doing relationships, we don't realize all of it is coming down to this equation. How the relationship increases or negatively decreases is based on faithfulness, loyalty, commitment, and sacrifice. And when we want a relationship to increase, we don't go to that person and say, I want you to have a better relationship with me as you slap them upside of the head. Now you can try that if you like, but I'll give you the shortcut, that doesn't work. What works is when we work on faithfulness, loyalty, commitment, and sacrifice. And that will create a better relationship. The problem now, this is where I wanna kinda of deal with what, I'm, what I have in my 63 minutes left. Um, so when we're dealing with the family structure, there is another structure that has come into play in modern times that has never been part of our human experience before. Now, most of you are gonna be shocked to find out which of these devices is so modern that it hasn't existed for more than 60, 70 years, but it is now completely pervasive in our culture and in our world. The concept is dating. Now you're thinking, well, haven't people always dated? No, they haven't. In order, a hundred years ago, if somebody came to me and wanted to date one of my daughters, the answer first was absolutely not. It wasn't a debate. There was no dating. Unless you intended on marrying my daughter, you could not date her or be with her, hang out with her, go to the movies with her. There was no movies. Go, to the, go on a stroll with her around the park. You could not do that. Nobody let you do that. This dating concept is very modern. As a matter of fact, it came with cars and back seats and submarine races. That's how it started. Up until that time, there was no dating. There was no movie cinema. There was no entertainment. There wasn't anything to do except sit around with your brothers and sisters and moms and dads and uncles and aunts and grandmas and grandpas and play cards, if you were lucky enough to have a deck of cards. You certainly never got to be in a room by your onesie with somebody of the opposite gender. That never happened. It's completely a modern creation. That should make you think a little bit why the Bible doesn't have anything to say about dating. Do you know why? There wasn't ever such a thing. We weren't ever that dumb. You know, Chester, uh, uh, J.K. Chesterton is one of the best quotes of my life, I think. He said, before you take a fence down, you should take a moment and consider why the guy built it there in the first place. I love that quote. Yeah. And that's what we have done in all of our relationships now. Now watch how the math on all this thing works. Historically, the way you did 
cross-gender familiarity was a thing called courting. And it was very different than our modern day dating stuff. But not, I'm not here to you know, mess up your, ne- your weekend if you plan to go on a date next weekend. What I'm here to show you is how destructive that institution or that environment has become. These relationships teach us about relationship, these dating relationships teach us about, supposedly, about how to have relationship with another person. Mostly ex-family relationships. Now that's where we get into trouble here with Jesus is my brother, because Jesus is not, is primarily the relationship I have with Jesus is husband, not brother. And so you're looking at when I am learning how to, have, to get myself ready to be married to him, it's, a, it's a sort of an ex-family relationship. This is somebody that's coming into the family that wasn't born and raised in the family. Does that make some sense? That's who I am to the family of God. When, we, when these environments are counterproductive, they injure you rather than making you better. And that's super important. What they, what, uh, what they're, what you are, what, the reason that people thought it's a good idea for boys and girls to date each other was because then they would learn how to be better prepared for their marriage relationship when they got there. That has proven to be absolutely categorically incorrect. Damaging relationships make us less, not more. Most of, if you talk to our, you know, our Momentum Center, the inner healing department, so many of the problems now don't come from family relationships, although there are a lot of that because we, we kind of not, don't do that great either. So many of the Rama issues, the inner healing traumatic issues come from high school. And the reason for that is one of them, anyways, there's many reasons for it, many situational things that come up, but they come up because of dating relationships where people are in not productive relationships and then they learn that they're not productive. That it's, well, let, let me just stay, stay on focus here so I can get my last 10 minutes done. Damaging relationships make us less and not more. We'll call this anti-synergy. So you get into relationship with another person. When you're in relationship with that other person, because of a number of different factors, you actually become less of a person. So you're, you're, you put in uh, 10 pits and 10 bits and you came out with 16 instead of 26. That's the opposite of synergy. And that's what happens in most relationships nowadays. Now, we don't realize that's what's happening because we kind of, we're, everybody's in the same corral going, doing the same things. And so when you come out of high school, everybody looks kind of the same. So you say, well, I guess nothing happened. No, something happened. It just happened to everybody. Every, this is what happens. When you get wounded in a relationship, everyone wants to control the next relationship that they get into, obviously. Because now I need to be the person who's, who's the dumper, not the dumpy. In order to do that, I need to control the relationship. Do you know what that means? Watch the math on this. That means I date down. 
Synergy, marriage is not about dating down. <laughs> marriage is about dating up. Man, as up as you can get, ask Mike, as up as you can get. <laughs> For posterity's sake, could you edit that, please? <laughs> Olivia's gonna get mad at me. So why are you making up my dad? When we need to control the relationship, we date down. We date people we can control. And then we wound them because we controlled them. Anybody watch the cycle here? So by the time you've had four or five of these relationships, the person on the other end of that, of that equation, whether you're the manipulate or who has been seriously trained on how to manipulate, which is not awesome, or you are the dumpy, you are the victim, then you've become a broken person because nobody loves me and nobody cares about me and nobody's ever going to look after me and nobody's ever going to keep me safe. Oh, no, 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 it goes because you got worse. Now, so that I can close, I got eight more pages to talk about, we'll talk about another time. What happens here, right? Go to 1 John 4 and verse 20. It tells us that if we, if we say, or if we do not know how to love human beings, then we say that we love God, but we are liars. Now, that's kind of harsh. But what it means is that he's, God is equating our ability to have relationships with another person. As I learn how to have relationships with another person, that's going to tell me how well I'm going to have relationships uh, with, with my heavenly, my, my family, my husband, particularly in the, our, this is our discussion. How well do I have a, have a relationship with my husband, Jesus, has been determined by a bunch of clowns, excuse me, by a bunch of people who were, who I was foolish enough to be exposing my heart to when I was only a teenager. Now, I have learned either to be, I'm going to manipulate, which means in my relationship with Jesus, I'm always trying to manipulate him. I'm always trying to corner him and get him to do the things that I want him to do for me. Because this relationship is all about me getting what I want. If I don't get what I want, zippity-doo, there's lots more hens in the chicken coop, as it were. Or I'm the dumpy. And the dumpy is the person who keeps becoming less and less and less and less and less as a person. Now Jesus is trying to come and raise us up to be all you can be. He says, no, no, nobody will ever love me. I know what you're trying to do. You're just trying to manipulate. You're trying, just trying to get something from me. All the other guys in my life have all tried to destroy me and made me less of a person. I know that's what you're doing. You want me to sit in the pew, tithe as often as you? Yeah, yeah, I get it. I know how this goes. Where did that like? That all came from this relationship environment that we so celebrate in our culture. It's completely destructive. When you come to the kingdom, now we struggle because we have all of this history we have all this past. And then when we come into our predict, we, what we do to predict our future, how's this exactly going to go? You know how we do that? We look to the past. And we say, this is how it went in the past, so I expect this is how it's going to go in the future. And then when God pursues us, 
when he desires to come into relationship with us, when he tries to align us, not control us, he tries to bring us into alignment with the, with the future of what it's gonna mean to be married to him, we are completely resistant to that because we've had too much experience. Let me just read you one thing and I'll close here. You know, then God comes along and says, I wanna marry you and then you will get to obey everything I command you. And we go, yeah, that's not gonna work. All of that created by these negative relationships that we allow ourselves to, be, to pursue or be involved in. So put your hand over your heart and say, Lord, I know I'm using past relationships with human beings to decide if I want to have a relationship with you. The fear of being hurt, of being manipulated, of being controlled, of being abused, being abandoned, being betrayed, all of these forces are governing my ability to chase after you, to open my heart and let you in. So Holy Spirit, I need you to heal these wounds of my past. Make me new again. Say, Jesus, I know you've proved to me that you love me, that you're out for my best interests, that you want to find out what I want to do, and then you want to help me do it. I know you're all for me. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You'll never leave me at a time of need. I know that's true. So I open my heart. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want to feel you close to me. I want our relationship to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that your life was impacted by this service and you are able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but been far from him. We wanna give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. If you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my savior and my Lord. 
Help me believe in you and love you every day. And help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you have just made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey. And most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we would love to send you with some easy steps on where to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you real soon.